0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So I, I uh, sent out an email today that um, I was going to share the evening with uh, my one of my oldest Dharma friends and um, uh, co author of this book that uh, I've been working on for some time on the joy course awakening joy uh, my friend Shoshana uh, Alexander who is in from Ashland Oregon where she now lives um, and uh, we she came down to work on on the the fin- the finishing touches of the of the book that um, we handed in the manuscript I'll just give you a little Little uh, uh, background to what's been going on. So we handed in this manuscript to uh, the uh, the editor at uh, at Bantam, uh, and it, the the Joy course is ten months, right? And it was ten chapters, one chapter on each month. Uh, but the deadline got pushed up because they wanted a have it out in, uh, in January, and you need a lot of lead time. So, they said when we were close to like the uh, doing, I guess, about the eighth chapter or so, uh, there was a meeting in New York that Shoshana was at with the editor and uh, a former editor and uh, my, my agent, and they all decided okay, uh, there's not enough time for ten chapters, we're going to just do nine chapters. And uh, the, tenth, the tenth, instead of it being a full-on chapter, will be um, an epilogue. And um, at first, I was really disappointed, you know, because the tenth chapter in the course is the the joy of being, which is after a whole lot of doing, a whole lot of cultivating different mind states uh, to stop the doing and just relax into the natural state, which is kind of pointing towards some of the higher teachings. And what I wanted people to, um, to get a sense of is, in addition to feeling well-being and joy, there's a deeper kind of happiness that's even beyond um, what we generally think of as joy or contentment, uh, which is the highest peace and to lead people on to deepening their practice. Mm -hmm. And this would also be for people who've never sat on a meditation cushion. Um, So we wrote this epilogue that was, we were really um, excited about it, because it kind of, okay, how do you talk about Nibbana and other stuff to people in Oklahoma uh, and or you know, and I know actually some very high people in Oklahoma, so i, I, I don 't want to generalize like that, so if you 're listening from Oklahoma, um, I have great respect for you, but people who might not be aware of those those things and um, but we we did it, we tried to do it and ran it by a few of my my uh, highly respected uh, teachers and colleagues and they said, yeah, that, that's, that's okay. That's pretty good. But when the editor read it, um, it was a bit of a stretch for her. And it was also a stretch for one one friend who I had a few readers take a look at it. And he's a very deep and wise philo- former philosophy major. And he said, well, it might be a little bit of a stretch for some people. And sometimes I, I was feeling like... I don't know, it didn't leave me saying, yes, it kind of left me saying, oh, there's there's more. So um, anyway, uh, the editor came back and said, well, I really like the first nine chapters. <laughs> Which was good. That was good to hear. Um, but this last one, uh, I don't know about, and uh, I, I'd like you to redo it. Well. We had just kind of said, oh, great, we finally finished with this. And she was going to come down to dot the I's and cross the T's and things like that. Uh, and there's a lot of I's and T's to, to take care of. But all of a sudden, this put the whole, the whole game in a very different um, uh, dimension. So it's, it's cramming time again. And... Um, and she's an incredible worker. My friend Shoshana, I'll just tell you a little bit. I was going to talk about her and then have her talk to people. I'll just mention a little bit about her. I we met on my second meditation retreat. This is in 1976 in Toledo, Washington, and uh, I was there at the kitchen, uh, at the at the sink in the di- the kitchen area cleaning up a whole lot of pots and just feeling overwhelmed. I have a whole lot of, a few pot washing stories that I I know I tell. And uh, this angel came up in the silence and said, would you like a little help? It was love at first sight, right? And uh, she's been helping me since and we've had just a history of 30 Three years of incredible dharma discussions. She sat on the first three-month retreat at IMS with me, and we became very uh, close. And lived at uh, a communal house that I, I lived at for uh, a number of years over in Rockridge. And um, we'd have these incredible dharma conversations until the wee hours of the night. So this is kind of like a, a an extension and a culmination of thirty. Three years of uh, of great Dharma conversations, but she said, um, you know, as much as I'd like to be there with you, I really need to work on this. I said, oh no. She's just so dedicated. She says, you know, I have to I have to get this in before I go up back up to Ashland. I need to take a few days for myself, and, I, and we'll have to do it another time. So I was saying bye, oh, and uh, then I realized, oh, I don't have anything to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I do now. I, we had all kinds of things, and I was going to bring in the guitar and we'd do "Shower the People You Love" and all that, you know. But that's not happening. Um, <laughs> so um, then I, I took a walk and I said, well, what, a, what am I going to? What will I talk about? I, I pulled out this book with lots of different uh, uh, the Buddha's greatest hits. You know, is there any passage that uh, that would really that I could do a riff on and, and, and talk for a while? And I went through the whole book and it wasn't anything quite there. I mean, I could have, but it would be stretching it. And then I realized well that I'd share with you another aspect of this whole process, uh, which is why I'm not going to be here next week. Um, I, I forget if I mention it to—I don't think I did—to this group. I am um, leaving on um, Saturday with Jane to Hawaii, which sounds really good. Except that I'm going to be working there the whole time that I'm there. But the reason that I was uh, that I was initially uh, deciding to go to Hawaii was. Um, that um, as many of you know, I've mentioned Ramdas here a number of times, and how important he's been in my life, and how important um, his guru Neem Karoli Baba has been in in my life. And um, so, uh, when the book was was coming to fruition, um, I uh, I wanted to have his Involvement. He's mentioned a few times in, in the book, but um, how many people have read *Be Here Now*? Just curious. Okay, great. All right. Well, if you haven't, it's a classic. I read it. That's the book that changed my life. And um, I called him up. Oh, Jack Cornfield is, is, has written a really uh, lovely forward for the book. And I called, but I called up Ramdas and I said, look. Um, He's on Maui, and I said Jack has written a foreword. I don't. I don't really need more than that, but um, I'd. Um, I just want. I want your words in there too. And he said, Oh, you want me to write a blurb? And I said, um, No. Um, I was hoping that you'd write a preface. And he said, Oh well, that means I have to really read the book. Right? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he said, OK, well, send it to me. He said I, he, he would be uh, glad to write a preface for it. So um, I sent him the book, and I thought, wow, that Maharaji, this Neem Karoli Baba, his, his guru, and my connection, has been behind this in my own mind um, since the beginning of the joy course. I didn't realize it actually until about a a couple of years into it, uh, just how much his, not only his energy, but his... um, well, I'll talk about that in a little while. Just his influence and his, his being was part of the, the, the Joy Course and also this book. Um, and to have Ramdas and his blessing on the book really um, meant a lot for me. That was actually, so far in the whole process, that's been the high point for me when he said, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll write that. So I'm going to see him uh, on, uh, on Tuesday and then again on Thursday. My son Adam, who's in Hawaii right now, who has a very strong connection to re- in over time and in recent times, he's going to come and uh, meet Ram Das also for the first time. So that's really exciting. Um, and other than that, I'm going to be you know, probably spending a fair amount of time um, working and I'll get out every now and then and snorkel or something like that. And Jane says, you got to snorkel early in the morning and then you'll be ready for the rest of it. But I wanted to talk a little bit about, about Neem Karoli Baba and um, just this mysterious connection, uh, both for me but also... Um, just to maybe point you to whatever it is that connects you with your deepest truth um, this is not a, going to be a particularly Buddhist talk, and uh, i've I've mentioned it before so it 's not exactly coming out of the closet but um, I have both the the Buddhist practice which has been my salvation, and this devotional path, which um, has resonated with me ever since I read Be Here Now and the besides the words the the love just leaped from the pages and right into my heart, and and uh, stirred something in me that uh, I was longing to feel. I never met Neem Karoli Baba in person. He he died in uh, 1973, September, September 13th, 1973. And uh, I, I first read Be Here Now, I think it was 71, 70, 71. And, um, and when he died, I was really, I was so saddened. Oh no, that means I'll never have the connection that I hoped that could happen in real life. Um, but I've had this connection with him, uh, whether or not in a body. And I speak to him. Myths a whole other thing. Sometimes I speak to him. Sometimes I speak to or in my heart speak to the, the symbol, what he represents. And um, it's a kind of mysterious thing. Sometimes I'll say Maharaji or that divine energy that I call Maharaji. And then I'll whatever will come out will come out. And in fact, just a little story about this epilogue. When they, they all met in New York and they said, well, you're going to have to cut it short uh, and do the, uh, and uh, make the chapter into an epilogue, I said, I was teaching the uh, retreat in, at Spirit Rock in February, and I said, Maharaji, I want to w- write that chapter. I want to do a full chapter. What do you think? You know? And then it wasn't happening, and I let go. I completely let go. However, the timing was not exactly what I had planned, because now I've really got this this deadline, but he gave me what I wanted. Uh, and that often happens where, where he or it, the universe, whatever you call it, uh, gave me what I what I wanted. And often it works like that when there's this very pure intention in the heart, and you really put it out, and then you let it go, something seems to come back. I'm just curious how many people, whether or not there's some body that you connect with in that way, have a sense of that feeling when you get really in touch with a purity in your heart, and you put it out as as a a vision or an intention that the universe seems to respond. If you've had that experience, isn't that amazing? How does that happen? Anybody know? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm open to answers, but uh, there's something that goes on there. Mm. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about some have some Maharaji stories. When I uh, when I went out to Naropa in 1974, I really went out. It was that first summer at, at uh, Naropa because Ramdas was giving um, was going to be there, and I got this something in the mail that said Naropa Institute, Ramdas and Trungpa Rinpoche, and that was all I, I knew. And I um, I said I want to be there. I want to meet. Us. And I, when I got to, uh, to meet him, I asked for an interview. And uh, I, he, he granted an interview uh, when I first got there and told me some things that completely blew my mind that have stayed with me ever since. Uh, he starts out, he started out in those days saying, uh, tell me the thing that, you're, that you'd be most embarrassed about me knowing. LAUGHTER that was the, the opening gambit, right? Mm-mm. So there's nowhere to hide. And uh, then among other things, I asked him about meditation. I've been doing some different kinds of practices. And he said, um, go check this, go- this guy Goldstein out. He's, he's pretty good. And he had known Joseph Goldstein in Asia, and Joseph is my teacher. and. Um, uh, when I went to Joseph's class, as I've said many times, after a few minutes, I just knew that's what I was looking for. But I was so connected with Buddhist practice um, that I didn't know about that devotional stuff anymore. It seemed kind of a little sloppy to me. You know? <laughs> shri ram jai ram and and doing mala beads and stuff like that and you know incense and uh the kind of you know really it wasn't buddhist incense it was you know <laughs> indian incense and um i hadn't been to india at that point and um but i went to uh i went to uh uh, jo- oh, Joseph had, had said, oh, the other piece, besides the the uh, devotional being sloppy, Buddhists seemed kind of serious and uh, very, it was dry. So I was longing for the juice that I'd get when my heart would be so open and connected with Maharaji. But I didn't want the sloppiness, you know. I wanted, I wanted a bit of both. Right? And I, when I'd go home, I was living in New York City at the time um, for all my life, up until uh, just a few years later when I moved out here. And I'd be sitting all by myself in New York. Um, there wasn't really a, a sango or sitting groups or anything in those days. This is 74. And um, I would diligently practice... But um, it helps to have like-minded friends around, and it got really—I was lonely, and I was really wanting some nourishment in that juice. So Joseph said, "Hey, uh, Ramdas is doing this class in New York, and you might uh, you might check it out, and uh, and see um, you know see if it's if it's for you." I went to the class, and and Ramdas. We had an interview, and and he knew that I was really into Buddhist meditation practice, and uh, he said, um, hmm, among other things, "Well, you're going to uh, you're going to need to give me give up everything." I said, "What do you mean?" There was uh, celibacy, there was diet, there was yoga, there was a whole lot of other things, and there was regular meditation, and you know a whole sadhana, spiritual practice. Um, but um, I didn't know what he meant. I said, well, what do you mean, I give you everything? He said, uh, you're going to have to um, uh, not do uh, your meditation. I said, not do my meditation? It's the one thing that's kind of... I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth, you know, here in New York, and I can... I believe in the meditation practice. And, um, and I couldn't just quickly say, oh, okay, sure, I'm in. I said, let me think about it. Right? And uh, I called Joseph and I said, look, he wants me to stop meditating. <laughs> what should I do? And Joseph said, what is he going to do? Tell you to not be aware? You know, he said, go ahead, just see what he's, what he's got in mind. But you're supposed to meditate in some form, a couple of hours a day, I think it was at, at that time. So I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. And um, after, uh, after a, I didn't know what I was doing, I called him up after a, a few days and I said, Look, um, oh, I, I said to him, OK, I'm going to do it. I'll surrender. And he said, OK, fine, you can be in the class. and. Uh, when I called him up and I said, well, we're supposed to be meditating, Uh, what shall I do? And he said, uh, there was a long pause, and he said, hmm, why don't you do uh, Vipassana? I said, Vipassana? What do you you mean? I thought, you know, uh, and he started laughing, and he said, uh, oh, it's a very good practice. You're mindful in every moment. You see what's happening. You can see things clearly. And, you know, He was laughing and laughing, and it was the first of many teachings that he and Maharaji would give. That um, he just saw I was so attached to the meditation, I had to let go of it before I could use it as a skillful means. Um, That first class, by the way, when I went in, there were about 30, 35 people in the class, and there was one other person who was uh, really into Buddhist meditation practice. Everybody else was chanting there and you know, <laughs> swaying and you know, really getting into it, and I'm, you know, sitting quietly. And, uh, and he got into this dialogue with this other guy. And it got very intense. Those days, uh, the teachings were very intense and fierce. And uh, and the guy was talking about, oh, how he didn't relate to this, you know, uh, that, that you just be quiet, you be still, and he couldn't quite... Uh, he was getting into a real Buddhist head. right? And in the middle of this very intense dialogue, he turns to me, it was my first class there, and he said, He's the only friend you have in this room. <laughs> and then he kicked him out of the class. <laughs> Sometimes I, I I wonder if that was just for me, that you know, that the sacrifice was there. And I was like, Whoa my god, what is going on? I oh, do no. What did I get myself into? And for the next, it was a wild time. This was 1975. For the next 10 months, as long as that class happened, it was just a little less than a year, um, and then it, and other things happened, um, I kept on going back and forth between am I a Buddhist or am I a Bhakta, devotional? Buddhism? Bhakti, Buddhist, Bhakti, Buddhist, Bhakti. And I would bring this to Ramdas a lot. You know, I just don't know. I just don't know what my real path is. And he almost always, one way or another, would say, Don't worry about choosing your path. Your path will choose you. You just keep on using whatever is supportive and useful, and keep on listening inside. And you'll know. You'll know. And I did. Uh, And uh, what my path, it was clear that my path was Buddha Dharma, Buddhist practice. But I never let go, and didn't want to let go, of that connection. And I have a big picture of Maharaji, right, by my computer and in my, Wallet And, uh, and, and Ram Ramdas and Maharaji have been very instrumental in the whole Vipassana scene. Uh, he was really the the mentor for Joseph and Jack. He was the one who, who brought them to Naropa. He said, you guys should, should teach here. And uh, those first years at IMS, they give him a, a little space for him to do a a long retreat he was on my very first meditation retreat ramdas that was very amazing in 1974 in great barrington i couldn't believe i was sitting with you know with ramdas and then he was there for that first 3 month course and he was really the guide the guiding wi- wisdom being through those first years at um, uh, of our of our tradition um, I'll tell you just a, a little bit about uh, his his presence in this in this process. Uh, when I when I went to, um, it, it became clear to me. I won't get into the the whole details of why it became clear, but at some point I realized, oh, I I don't have to worry about is this joy course gonna Gonna work, you know. The first couple of years was like, wow, what's going on here? Do I know what I'm doing or anything like that? And then it just became clear that he, uh, I felt there was a his energy and support behind it, and it was just absolutely clear. And at that point, I was just here for the for the the ride. And the first time I went to um, the editors, the editor at Bantam. Uh, I said um, we were talking about it. I had sent her some some stuff as a proposal, and Shoshana had arranged. Uh, she knew uh, the editor, and uh, the editor was really behind it, or oh, seemed to be behind it. And I said, "Look, this is this is who's writing this whole book, right?" And uh, she knew about Be Here Now. And she said, "Oh, that that kind of." I said, "I I don't usually. I guess you don't." Hear that? You know, people coming to an editor and saying, "Okay, here's this uh, this guru that uh, that I think is behind this whole thing." But she took the picture and she said, "Oh, well, that's nice." And she kind of left the picture there. Let's let's just leave him there while we were talking about the whole thing. And at that point, I I had a feeling that she was going to go for the proposal, which she did. And I said that to my agent too. And I, uh, Five agents I had to go through. Getting an agent is very difficult, and finally, I kept on saying, "Maharaji, is this supposed to happen, or is it not supposed to?" And then finally, I got the right agent, exactly the right agent, who was fantastic. And I said, "This is who's behind this whole thing." Oh, okay, very cool. And <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one story, and then I want to uh, have some interaction with you. On, uh, one time. We were, uh, I was in New York, uh, this is a, a year or so ago, and it was, at times, there were some difficulties in the, in the whole process for me, and writing, and also just a, a lot of things coming together. And I was walking down Central Park West from my friend's house down to Broadway, where, where the, uh, the book uh, publishers are, and, uh, and I pulled out the picture of Maharaji, and was walking with he was walking with me like for the thirty blocks or so, and I said, "Okay, Maharaji, give me a sign, give me a sign if you, if you i won't i won 't pressure you, but if you would if you would give me a sign that this is supposed to happen i i wouldn 't turn away i 'd be very pleased i 'd be very grateful uh, and then I forgot about it. I got to the uh, to the um, the offices about uh, twenty or thirty minutes early, uh, and so I didn't. I wasn't going to just sit in the lobby. I thought I'd walk a little bit, uh, the next block or so, and just uh, window shop. And then I see uh, across the street, just where I'm passing, meditation, a, a place you come in here and meditate, and. It turns out it's a Deepak Chopra, Chopra Center. It's really cool with all these, all these books in the window. And you go inside. And this book that had just come out, uh, Why, uh, Why Does God Laugh, his book about joy, I said, well, that's pretty cool. OK. And then I went down. You can go downstairs. It's a very cool place. You can go downstairs. And um, you can meditate. You just go inside, and I sat there for oh maybe about uh, for a few minutes, and then I uh, I had to go, and I thought oh maybe after I have this appointment with with the editor I'll, I'm going to come back here maybe I'll just see how I felt. I had the appointment, and then I forgot all about it as I as I left, and I started walking up to Central Park, uh, Central Park West uptown, and I got about two blocks. And all of a sudden, I couldn't take another step. And this voice said, go back and meditate. I said, do I really want to do it? And it was like this force field that said, go back there and meditate. I said, "Okay, what the heck. So I go back and meditate. And uh, I'm there, oh, maybe for about, oh, 15 or 20 minutes, and I said, OK, time to go. And I go upstairs, and who is there? Deepak Chopra, who just happened to walk into the store. And I said, oh, hi, I think I know you. right? And then I said, look. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. All right, maybe that's a sign. And I said, uh, look, I'm writing this. I'm trying to write my first book. You have written like 50 books or so. It's a piece of cake maybe to you, but this is really hard. Do you have any advice for me? And he said, oh, yeah, I've got some advice. He said, what I do is I meditate every day, no matter what, meditate for 30 minutes, and then I, uh, after I meditate, I write for however long, an hour, two hours, or whatever. And he says, uh, and that that gets me in touch with uh, realizing that um, God is doing the writing and I'll collect the royalties. (laughs) He says, that's my advice to you Uh, that way. Okay. <laughs> and then I walked out and I said, well, that was pretty cool, Maharaji. Okay, I wanted a sign. I got a sign. Things like that have happened a number of times. This, So I have no idea what is going on, how this works, but for me... And I often go back and forth, actually, in my mind. What is going on? Is there a being up there pulling strings? That just seems, for my Buddhist head, just seems so far out. And so, as I say, sometimes I say Maharaji or that divine energy that I call Maharaji. Sometimes it's a real person. Sometimes it's just... It's like he represents this particular ray, this particular energy of purity and, uh, and truth that kind of it helps me tune in in my own heart to that place that resonates. That's the same place ever since I read Be Here Now or when I looked, look at his picture reminds me inside of the truth for me. So whether or not It's real. It's a skillful means that I find helpful that makes all the difference in the world. The Buddhist path is sometimes called the path with no railings. Because there's not much to hold on to, like we were doing the Third Zen Patriarch these last few weeks. You know, and he says, uh, he just continually pulling out the rug, don't even be attached to this emptiness. You know. That's a path with no railings. There's nothing to hold on to or that you can, can lean on. Although there is, a, certainly in Tibetan Buddhism, a lot of work with guru yoga and there's, in Theravadan Buddhism and in uh, in Mahayana also, the reverence that you can have for a teacher, for a spiritual friend who can be there and re- remind you and support you and guide you. And there's that way, there, there can be a similar element where you're really connecting with something outside of yourself. But basically, what the real devotion is in... In Buddha Dharma, as I've seen, is devotion to the truth, devotion to to um, awakening, and to the. In Tibetan, it would be called bodhicitta, this seed of awakening, this where you are so devoted to uh, to the truth that you uh, you just surrender everything. But it's a little bit different than having. Somebody or something to remind you, whether it's Jesus or God, your version of God, whatever it is, there is something to be said about that duality. Until you see that there's no separation between you and that being out there, as it's said in Hinduism, God, Guru, and when you see that God, Guru, and Self are one and it all collapses, that it's not me worshipping somebody else. In, in the Ramayana, Hanuman, who Maharaji is supposedly an incarnation of, the monkey god. Uh, Hanuman, who is, is, is um, the servant of Ram, and he says to, to Ram, when I forget who I am, I serve you and when I remember who I really am you and I are one and that's the, the place to dance in this how could God or the divine be outside of you it is expressing itself as you but it helps to have a reminder of somebody who inspires some an archetype. We all need heroes. That's why we love sports heroes or celebrities or somebody to look up to, you know, whether it's you know Gandhi or you know maybe a whole lot of people are feeling this way maybe about Obama these days. You know, it's just somebody or the Dalai Lama, who represents goodness, just to remind us of that place inside of us that is already pure and good. So, I just want to ask you to reflect for a moment and what is it, or maybe who is it, what inspires you, what reminds you of that Buddha right inside you or the kingdom of heaven or the divine spark? Is there something that awakens that in you or when you get lost, you can remember and there's a surety, there's a comfort that says, yes, there is goodness in the world and reminding you that it's right inside of you as well. Okay, so um, is this working? Yeah. Let's just uh, see if anything comes up from that. I just to ask you yes. What Say again? Would you what Hanuman said, Hanuman said uh, When I forget who I am, I serve you. And when I remember who I am, you and I are one. Yeah, no separation.
1: Yeah. Hi. Right. Uh, thanks. What, uh, a what? What does it for me is to see it in another person. You know, when I can see it in another person, that's it. No words necessary. You can just see it. Uh, that happened to me. It's funny. It's great to hear you tonight because uh, I started off in a in devotional path in the early '70s with Maharaji, not the same one, the 14-year-old mm-hmm. kid from India. Mm-hmm. And I went to hear. Uh, One of his Mahatmas speak in Aspen, Colorado in 72. I went to see this guy. I looked at him, and I knew instantly God exists. God is alive. Mm -hmm. You know, you could see it in him just like that. No words necessary. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the years Mm -hmm. since, I've also been very interested and been drawn to and developed with the Buddhist Buddhists. You know, you can't separate them. Mm -hmm. Truth is truth.
0: Mm -hmm. Great, great. Just hold on, to we'll see who's, who else is up there. So when you see it in another person, you can tune into that 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 wavelength. Yeah, just pass it.
1: Not to contradict anybody, but um, I went to India in '71 and spent uh, three months in an ashram with uh, the 14-year-old Maharaji. And um, sat every night and listened to the satsang, um, and I walked away thinking that he wasn't the right guy.
0: Mm-hmm. For you now, that's the interesting thing. Now, I, I uh, when we were in that Ramdas scene, we visited uh, um, Muktananda, who's got the Siddhi Yoga ashram here. And he had very strong powers. Shaktipat, Say he he give you he touch you with a feather, and some people a peacock feather or something like that, and some people would be kind of like plugged into a, a, a very strong electric you know transformer. And other people, I went. I said, well, he's a nice man but he just didn't do it for me. And that's the mysterious thing. That's the beauty of all of these these different paths, that there's one perhaps just for you. And that doesn't negate what somebody else can get, from it, it's just we have different temperaments, different frequencies, different connections. How is it that you meet somebody and you see them and it's like, this is the person I'm supposed to be with. And maybe you don't see them for 20 years and then it's, this is, you see them again, this is the person I'm supposed to be with. How does that happen? Very mysterious, so the beautiful thing is that we have that the antenna that can tune in and hopefully pick up whether it's on a relationship level or a spiritual friend level and um, you know different people do it for different ones like Ramdas actually you know he he's a He's an amazing guy and what he what he could do is when he get would get out of the way, Maharaji would come would would come through him very purely. But he, by his own admission, could be very curmudgy and you know and and difficult, you know. And if somebody saw him that way, you know, like when he kicked that person out, you say, Wow, what kind of a Loving guy is that, but to the extent that somebody can get out of the way and something pure comes through them, then that purity touches, touches another person, it's mysterious.
1: um f- for me inspiration comes less from heroes somehow i don't see heroes and um more from many people who i have touched lives of and who have touched my lives and that is where i go for inspiration
0: mm. say say a little bit more when you say that you've touched their lives and they've touched you how does that um
1: well, different people in different in really different ways. Many um, close friends, partners, family members um, who connections in different ways have either been lessons that I will never forget, mm-hmm. images, um, mm-hmm. feeling states mm-hmm. that um, I just touch in with that
0: bring me a lot of inspiration. So it's the connection that that you share between you. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Anything else to that you wanna raise?
2: Yeah. Uh, what comes to my mind is um, I really need the feminine aspect for me being a woman this time around.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> um, so I really I go the gamut from my grandmother to um, Pima children, and in between there there's um, Torah that I pray to sometimes mm-hmm. and um, Kuan Yin has been so powerful for me as well. Yeah. And um, I have a lot of respect for male teachers too, but I do know that my prayer, and I believe in prayer. I like the fact that you mentioned prayer because mm-hmm. for me, then I can get out of this thinking mind mm-hmm. and let something else, divine intervention or something, yeah. come through. And yeah. just the fact that I'm Praying for some reason, I'm saying that there's got there is something there else other than this here, you know. So, there's there's something about that that's magical. In that, um,
0: yeah, thank you. There is something about prayer, whatever is going on, whoever can can whether there's somebody can hear you. I was just uh, uh, talking with Shoshana that uh, I think Mother Teresa would say, you know, when. Somebody asked her about prayer. What happens when you pray? And, and she says, uh, um, oh, I listen. I listen to God. And she's, and then she's asked, and what is, what is God saying? She's saying, oh, he's listening too. <laughs> Just listening together. But there's something about prayer, whether or not, who knows what's on the other side, but it orients your mind in a positive, healthy direction. So instead of spinning your wheel saying, oh my goodness, what's gonna happen? This isn't gonna work out, or damn it, life isn't fair, or whatever. When you pray, or when you, it's like you're surrendering your, the control that you never had in the first place. (laughs) And you are orienting yourself in a positive, healthy way towards the goodness of life. Because you come from that very sincere, innocent place inside that has the universal prayer of help. You, know, you are, there's the, the little kid in you that's saying, some, that's looking for something bigger than yourself. To support you. And in that, just in that orientation, you are nourished and fed because you're out of your small contracted mind. So, yeah, there's something to that if you can get into it. Okay, any any last comment before we close? It's just about time to close. One over there. Yeah. Uh, all, all the way in the back.
1: When you speak of prayer, um, it sounds to me like you're talking about the type of prayer I would call uh, prayer of supplication, asking, mm-hmm. you know, please, you know, this or that or the other thing. And I just um, want to put a, a bit in for uh, prayer of thanksgiving mm-hmm. as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I hold that if the only prayer we ever said was thank you, it would be enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that uh, Meister, uh, Meister Eckhart uh, I think said that? Exactly that, that line. If the, if the only prayer we ever said was thank you, that would be enough. So You just channeled him, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's, let's do that. So um, just here in your heart, feel the, the openness to life whatever reminds you of your goodness, feel the goodness inside. And as you breathe in, breathe in through your heart the goodness of life, let it nourish you. And as you breathe out, surround yourself and let it radiate out and share it with others. And uh, wish yourself well. Feel the support of life, of the universe, however you conceive of that. And uh, send yourself some good thoughts. May I open up to all the goodness and happiness in my life. May I share my love well. And may I awaken to my true nature. As you're doing that, just uh, for a moment, reflect, where are these words going to? When you ask, may I, or you put out that intention, may I, you're orienting yourself for the universe and for life to respond. May this happen. and then include everyone here, and all beings in all directions, just like you who want to be happy. May all beings find real happiness. May all have peace in their lives. May all find the support that they need to get them through hard times, to feel grateful for the good times. May all awaken to their true nature. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy.